Burlesque Stripped Down, episode number 19. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Velvet Eau Claire, your guide through all of the saucy, sexy, down and dirty, not so sexy, all the real secrets of the ladies and gents behind the tassels. I am thrilled to have you today here with me on Burlesque Stripped Down. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. Always happy to see you or talk to you again. And if you are a new listener, welcome. I hope that you really enjoy everything that you hear today. Today is a really awesome episode um, with Sapphira of Sapphira Showgirls. So we'll get into that in just a second. Um, just a few announcements. I do have a lot of great things happening um, on the podcast and kind of in the works for the future. So uh, you'll be hearing a lot of kind of th- new things happening over the next few weeks and months. Um, as I've mentioned, this uh, this month, everything coming up, I have some just mind-blowing interviews. They're just truly, truly amazing. They've changed my life, even just recording them, editing them, listening to them. So I hope, I really hope that they do the same for you. Last week, we had an interview with Kalita, the showgirl shaman. And that was phenomenal. So definitely, if you haven't, go back and listen to that. Last Thursday on my Hot Tips episode, I got a little bit kind of down and dirty. I was talking about Facebook pages versus profiles. So if you can't really figure out the difference between those two or you're not sure which to use, go ahead and have a, have a listen to that. That's episode 18 um, from last Thursday. Coming up next Monday, I have my beautiful Ava Valentina from my trooper, Les Moulin. So I'm really excited to share that with you. That'll be great fun. So there's lots of good things happening um, over on the website. We're kind of getting back into the swing of things as well. So head over there just to kind of check out. If you miss early episodes, you can uh, kind of listen to those and uh, visit that. So that's burlesquestripdown.com. And of course, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash burlesquestripdown. Head over there. I do have a couple more things in the works. Nothing I can really share with you yet, but I'll just kind of tease you a little bit and let you know that I may have some big announcements over the next week or two. So keep listening. Uh, as I mentioned today, I've got Sapphira with me and you're going to love this interview. It's a really, really great thing. I will let you know that we get into a little, you know, this is something that, uh, <laughs> at least for me, I should probably never talk about science on the show. We get into a little bit of the sciencey bits and I will let you know that I'm going to come back after the interview and kind of fill in the gaps from that conversation because it's a super, super interesting topic. But of course, we're two girls that, you know, we're not scientists. So we're kind of babbling on about things that we're not entirely sure about. So I will come back in um, in the kind of outro for this episode and let you know some more details. So when you start hearing us go on the science route, just know that I'll give you kind of some more information on that at the very end. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this amazing interview with Sapphira. I'll tell you a little bit about her. Sapphira is a singer and songwriter. She is a Burlesque Academy owner and also an occasional poet. She was a bit of an accidental burlesque artist. Um, she overcame a severe bipolar episode in her 20s that at the height of her hysteria saw her placed in solitary confinement in a psychiatric hospital. But she came through that and she relocated to London from her hometown of Melbourne in 2003, reinventing herself on the underground cabaret circuit. And she found the anonymity of a big city combined with the escapism of creating an alter ego deeply therapeutic. She is humbled to have devoted the past decade to teaching others. And with her burlesque academy, Sapphira Showgirls, her life's purpose is to empower women's self-expression. With an unreleased album up her sleeve, she is at the frontier of a burlesque bass music and electronica stage show fusion. Sapphira's greatest wish is to meet her business idol, Sir Richard Branson, following a four-year Valentine's Day tribute titled My Heart Belongs to Branson, which has involved 250 people and three successful New World Records. 
So we're going to get into a bit more of each of those things, including the album, Sir Richard Branson, the Academy, and all of that. So without further ado, here is Velvet, myself, with Miss Sapphira. All right, Sapphira, I have you front and center for our burlesque stripped down podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you. How are you doing today? Yeah, really, really great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's just jump right into these questions here. And what is something that you have going on right now, uh, this spring of 2016, that has you most excited? Uh, well, I'm in London and I've actually relocated back here a year and a half ago from my hometown of Melbourne. So what I am most excited about is is something that's pretty much been on the uh, the back burner for nearly 14 years because I moved to London in 2003 with my first demo um, is to finally have finished my album Um, that is you know getting some really good interest in the industry and now it's the finished product Uh, we're here to really launch uh, and share with the world and it's been although the you know the whole journey of songwriting has been pretty much my whole life um it's really been a six-year process meeting my music producer who i actually have married um through a very interesting long distance relationship (laughs) and now we're here in london together Uh, so it's quite an exciting time and, and a big stage of evolution too because i've been singing the people's music for so long so to be singing my own and planning a show with my own original material is really quite rewarding that's fantastic congratulations Thanks. that's a huge especially when it's been like as you said kind of like a lifetime of work almost you know <laughs> even if it wasn't exact but I mean a lifetime coming yeah kind of. yeah exactly well I'd love to let's take a actually you've sent over a little clip so let's take a second we can kind of listen to some of this and play this for our listeners of, of a bit from this new album that you're that you're uh, releasing yeah sure you make my little heartbeat flutter Ooh, I like it. It makes me kind of want to dance a little bit here in my chair. I like it. So that is uh, the track Tease from the new album titled Tease, correct? So tell us a little bit more about the kind of music that you're doing. Well, it's burlesque meets electronica. So for a long time, I felt, you know, because I love, I grew up in like nightclubs and dark back rooms at 4am dancing to breakbeat and, you know, house that this is like a very much a bringing a fusion of like a uh, vintage with contemporary music. So we have got dubstep breaks, you know, what they call bass music with some really phenomenal, very, very like big bass lines. Um, it's all electronica. So it's stuff that would work in a nightclub. And then there's some very, you know, lilting, haunting ballads just to completely take people in a, a whole other direction as a bit of a contrast. Very good. And then that is being, is it released yet or it's on its way? It's its going to be released at the end of 2016. Um, and yeah, it's very exciting. So 
the debut single that came out in 2013, and that is actually still on the album, which is called Tease. Uh, but this, you know, is is going to be the full like 14 songs and six years worth of work plus two music videos. So uh, it's quite uh, an epic. And these aren't just videos that were sort of shot on an iPhone. One of them took four, four <laughs> days to film in the mountains, um, and another one took a, a full 14 days of a uh, 14 hours of shooting uh, at one of the big nightclubs in melbourne so they've we've had an excellent production team and crew and it's yeah it's yeah. quite a it's quite a, a huge undertaking but it's finally finished which is great <laughs> yay well congratulations um for everybody who's listening who um you know if you liked what you heard and everything and or is just interested um i will definitely have any links especially and i'll update them kind of as things are released and everything um it, over in the show notes page for this episode which will be at burlesque strip slash sapphira so that's s a P-P-H-I-R-A. Is that correct? You got it. Did I get it? I got it right. It's harder when you're not seeing it, you know, when you're not actually writing it. I'm like, wait a minute. 10 out of 10. So, um, so head over there to that show notes page and you can get um, get all the details on that, of course, as always. So let's back up a little bit because you've got all this amazing things going on right now. But let's kind of go back in time. Tell us a little bit um, about your journey, something that we can't see just from like looking at your website and reading your bio. How did you really know? How did you come to burlesque and how did you really know that it was right for you? You know, it's interesting because, yeah, I had always wanted to sing from the age of eight, like when I first ever performed at Sunday school in my church for a group of people, something just called me to be a singer. And I'd never, ever really known about what burlesque was. But on Sundays, um, certain Sundays, we used to watch like Rogers and Hammerstein musicals. And I would always love the scenes where like some Marilyn Monroe-esque figure would come out, you know, in a corset and bustle and sing like a number in a saloon or something like that. That, you know, all those Doris Day musicals calls um just many many of those like that era had really appealed to me and the dresses and the elegance and so it was quite strange as I really merged as a jazz singer first I suppose like ring I won a few talent quests when I was 16 singing you know more that style of Frank, old Frank Sinatra covers and everything and was singing as a jazz singer because that seemed to be like the most natural progression and had this jazz quartet or I'd met in Melbourne in my hometown and uh, having then decided to take a fairly interesting you know new course with belly dancing found myself in London um, with this you know aspiration to be a songwriter but somehow I got invited to a show uh, which was the first ever time I saw Immodesty Blaze perform and Mm. it was just the escapism and the erotica and the sort of, I don't know, pedestal I felt these performers had that just really totally swept me up. It seemed to bring all of the vintage music I was learning in jazz together with this incredible sensuality I liked from belly dancing, but it was even more provocative and tantalising and I just was like, wow, I have to be part of this. I have no idea what it is, but I just feel it. And um, so, yeah, just be there, there on in became like, you know, an, an enormous lifetime obsession, I suppose. And that is really the only word I can use to describe what has been my career because it's just turned into this full-time occupation and now even if I want to switch it off I don't think I can (laughs) (laughs) it's intrinsically it's a part of you now yeah (laughs) it's there it's totally there it's sort of you know twisting and turning into different things but I can see why 
I feel that this of having dabbled in a lot of different things, even up until the point of finding burlesque, you know, I really felt like I came home and it just felt like the right medium for me to do all the things I wanted to do. And yeah, it's been a really amazing thing. And, you know, I still think even in the 10 years I've done burlesque now, it's evolved and it's taken different shape. But, and I don't think you really ever say stay stagnant, anybody, any artist, any student, you know, that I've had or that's going on to do things of their own. Like, I don't think I notice anybody stays, you know, in this one rigid box. We are evolving all the time. But that was how it all started back in 2004, I think it was, um, at the Cobden Club, the Whoopi, the Whoopi Club yes. night had a modesty blaze. And she really was pretty pivotal in actually my turning point because everybody else was amazing, but she just was breathtaking um, on stage. Mm. Do you have, I mean, in addition, do you have other people who kind of inspire you, living or past, um, who just really kind of the queens and the kings and all of that? Who who really inspires you in the world? I obviously have a, a you know real admiration for Dita Von Tees because ah, yes. I I like the way she has um, managed to become like a real flag flag mast for the whole scene I think it particularly the quite quite careful way um all of these brands have been able to like identify with what she produces and want to put their label to it so that to me has been a really quite subtle and like wonderful way to open burlesque up to a number of you know new avenues and a new audience which is excellent mm-hmm. also I know I mean I don't think it, you know it necess- she's necessarily a burlesque performer but I really liked the um burlesque the movie and I know this is controversial but I loved I loved like how Christina Aguilera's character in that film was a singer and for me that really made sense because you know it was unusual to to sing and do burlesque although Gypsy Rose Lee was Mm -hmm. actually her gimmick was her voice um and she would do a lot of spoken word but as a singer I've been often asked you know can you please not sing we don't think burlesque is is like about singing so I felt like having uh, someone, you know, a portrayer character who was a singer but then, you know, also added burlesque into it through that movie felt quite, like, relevant. Uh, I definitely think, again, Gypsy Rosalie, who I mm-hmm. only found out about really in 2013 when I got cast in the musical in Melbourne in an amateur production, did I really start doing more investigating about her life and now that production has actually been on in a West End here in London. So that just gave me a lot, opened my eyes a lot more to how how much burlesque had been around for a long, long time. So Mm -hmm. Gypsy Rosalie I think is also another big influence but that kind of came after nearly, you know, eight years of being in burlesque which was a bit of a strange sort of way round because most people probably knew about her you know, prior to getting into it. I think those guys, and then because I'm a songwriter, you know, I'm really inspired by Goldfrapp. I don't know if you know that artist. Um, no, I don't. She she had a Modesty Blaze in a video clip in about 2007 when she had one of her big hit albums, and she does electronica, so it's, you know, it's, it's got a really pop kind of synth-based sound, but mm-hmm. she has a very, very retro styling and you know, that to me was just like, cool, this is a a little taste of where I want to go with music, musically, as well as stylistically. So I think that those kind of, those people have all played a role very much. And then Marilyn Monroe and Salt and Pepper. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love salt and pepper. Anytime soup comes on, I'm just, I'm there with all, all of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's been a real mixed bag, you know. Absolutely. That's, it's nice when you have kind of a real mixture, you know, of different people that, that inspire you to take on something fully unique. Yeah. So. So have you had any major, whether it's in burlesque or outside of burlesque, any major fangirl moments where you just met someone and that it really just made you turn into that little, you know, kind of excited, giddy teenage girl inside? Well, Dita Von Teese was in Melbourne actually at uh, Maya. And funny thing was that I'd met her back in 2006 on a whim because she was signing the book Burlesque um, at Coco de Mer and you know, I knew of her, so I thought I should go and make the most of this afternoon and, and get a book signed. I thought it couldn't hurt. But really at that stage, it was early days for me in burlesque. I, I probably performed a handful of times and, you know, was pretty nervous about the whole venture. Um, and then fast forward to 2013, she's in my hometown of Melbourne. So I've, you know, left London and moved back to Melbourne, um, having met her originally in London. She's in my hometown and I have this amazing academy. I've kind of committed to my dream of uh, leaving my corporate job to teach women and to help empower them because I found burlesque so empowering. And because she was at Maya, I thought, you know, I should go and actually take this calendar. We dedicated it to her and to, a, you know, about a handful of other people and women that had been really influential um, in my like, my journey. And so I took this calendar, which had up to 60 women from my classes, all featured throughout the various months of the calendar year um, and was able to present that to her and get her to sign it and also it was quite a full circle because one of Australia's largest women's magazine had actually had one of the journalists um, coincidentally come to my classes in the city and that journalist had written a big, very flattering story about her experience doing burlesque classes and they had used Dita Von Tees as the picture. So to be published oh, in Australia's biggest women's magazine with Dita there and then to meet her was really phenomenal. So she signed that article and I just felt like that really did feel like a coming of full circle and gave her Absolutely. the calendar too. So um, that was nice because, I, you know, I just really think that if it wasn't for that kind of bravery and, you know, um, role model that she has played being such a pioneer in modern-day burlesque, um, I, I don't think I would have been as courageous with some of the decisions I've made. But I always think to myself, what would Dita do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I just go for it, basically. And so it was nice to be able to share um, the calendar with her and just say, you know, you have been a really big influence um, to me and just keep doing what you're doing because this is now impacting, you know, we've had, I think, 15,000 students over the years through HENS classes and through my dance schools with my teaching team. And just to think that they may then go and pass that on and then pass that on, you know, that affects their world and their immediate circle of friends if they have more confidence and it just creates a better place. So, I, yeah, that was really probably my biggest fangirl moment. Um, I'm sure I'll have many more. I'm getting to meet an incredibly incredibly senior woman in Britain who is actually was well named by BBC as one of Britain's top 100 most powerful women and uh, I wrote a poem for her which got 
published on International Women's Day and I am just found out today that I will get to go and present that to her, signed. Oh, congratulations. Yes, at, when she speaks at the Woman of the Year event she's she's doing a talk at. So, yeah, I think that's probably going to be another moment, but I've never met her before. It was just a coincidence she was doing a book signing and what she said was so powerful and her story mm. was so captivating and her courage and her strength that I just felt inspired to write this poem from some of the words that she'd used and sent it to the organisers and they really liked it and now it's, you know, turned into this opportunity to meet her. But, I mean, she is a very senior and respected businesswoman um, and so I'm sure that will be another one of those kind of like starry-eyed moments. So you mentioned, you know, we know that you do a lot of teaching. I know you have your your um, your album being released and you're in the process of that. What kind of what does your work entail at the moment? Like what kind of maybe even percentages wise, like do you perform and teach and like how, how does your kind of work week look or work month or anything? Do you know, like I've that? just taken a year and a half off because I got married um, and then this huge fluster moved to London. It was bit last minute um the whole getting married thing uh, literally we planned it in three and a half weeks although we'd been courting each other for nearly six years and then been engaged in different like you know got engaged but then we lived in different countries for a year the actual marriage got was quite last minute so we arrived kind of lock stock and two smoking barrels in London a year and a half (laughs) ago and so I at the moment am just in the stages of writing all sorts of very uh, mundane uh, business, you know, processes. So I'm working on a business plan with a phenomenal mentor. Um, mm, I'm so important. Looking for an, an investor because uh, to really get my stage show to the level I want it to be at, I need to, you know, get some extra investment and Furthermore, um, I am applying for grants. So it's just all of the behind the scenes, you know, style of really grafting away to get the next level of where I want to go with this project uh, to fruition, mm. listening to masters of my album and checking that's all all right, you know. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> working like crazy. I've been to Ibiza twice and written several feature stories about some key people there. So the world record attempt was really just the biggest thing I've done since I moved back um, and now I'm just, again, a bit behind the scenes while I while I labor away, we're rehearsing, we're, you know, working, co-writing with a new producer, Emilio Marone, who's one of Italy's most revered pianists and he's taught at conservatoriums all over Italy um, and now he's living in London and collaborating with me and my husband and producer. So the three of us have got some really exciting uh, new ideas for how we can bring this album to life visually. Um, so, yeah, I am not really doing performing and or teaching while I get all of this to to the place I need it to be. That is taking sure. all my time because it's amazing how, you know, that can be that's another talent if actually I think you know it's one thing to rehearse it's another thing to have costumes and fittings and perform but the actual behind the scenes mm-hmm. bare bones of account keeping and you know press release writing and speaking to all your contacts and networking and really creating yes. a solid base for the launching of the then you know finished project like that's a whole other set of skills and talents that we need as performers to really you know be fully functioning these days 
Absolutely. I agree 100%. I think even if you're, you know, even if you're not looking to produce and you just want to be a performer, there's still all sorts of kind of businessy things. And, and we've talked about that before on this podcast, too, about, you know, treating your career like a business, your burlesque career. It's not just about doing the rehearsing and doing the choreography and doing all of the fun stuff. I wish it were, <laughs> but unfortunately there's more to it than that, especially if you do want to produce or teach. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Or anything like that. So I know you have um, like the Sapphira Showgirls, right? Is that, is that your, that's the organization in Australia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Or that's right. And that's operating here and we'll also be operating in, in a beat, in a beats of Spain. Um, oh, okay. Great. So it's growing and that's my main kind of name, like kind of principally most recognized um, work, I suppose, which is, you know, about empowering women and really taking them from the classroom out with us to the entertainment industry. So being in photo shoots, being in you know, music videos, but, and, you know, my long-term goal is actually getting them to be part of an eight-week course and the, you know, kind of the final conclusion of that is performing on a massive stage that is like a Cirque du Soleil level, you know, performance so that they can actually have that experience and look at all of the emotional stages they go through in the anxiety and the preparation and then the elation of just getting to that point and what, you know, goes on for them. That is the true goal. Um, but then I have a, a lot of other little things beavering away because in the process of getting my music released, I've started a record label um, of my own. And then I have this fantastic I Love Burlesque merchandise that. Yes, I saw that. I love it. Oh, which I am, <laughs> you know, I've got so many ideas for that. So I'm just really trying to do, you know, not just one business, but actually four is a uh, quite <laughs> well epic. And I need it. Well, hats off to you. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know when you have time to sleep with all of that going on. Goodness. It's going, you know, <laughs> and it is about doing it right. That's why it's, it's really important to have like the right business plan and a strategy awesome. because you just can't, you know, go kind of hell for leather after every idea. It needs careful consideration and timing behind it. Uh, and, the, and a team. So, you know, I am here. I'm really lucky that um, I've just recruited a fantastic new PA who has got all sorts of, I mean, PA isn't even enough of a title because she's just got the most incredible marketing and um, and administrative skills. So we're about to, you know, announce her joining our team here and that she will just be pivotal. And I'm growing, you know, the t teachers in Australia because I just need more people. So it's funny, like, you know, you do really start to sort of step away from some things and move into different things. And I just never honestly thought that that's where I would be when I first stood up very nervously in a corset <laughs> in 2004, <laughs> that that's where I would be all these, these years later, you know, but isn't that funny? It is. It is. Life Life takes you in directions you might not expect, you know. And we have different seasons of our lives too, you know. You might have a performing and, and performing season. Right now, maybe you're not in a performing season, but maybe you will re-enter one in, you know, in the future when things, who knows, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no, most definitely. I'm, um, I've got, you know, um, all of our rehearsal and our kind of writing is all around creating this stage show now so I've met choreographers here and great. this is just the great city to be in I mean I love Australia oh. and I miss Melbourne but you know I just needed to be in a major city in a huge capital and I needed to be close to Europe and you know have all of this access to all these amazing other artists at, within you know a stone's throw that you just you know they're just all here everybody is here because the opportunities here are so uh immense so mm -hmm. it's exciting it's an exciting time but in a way it's actually been quite nice to have a year and a half off teaching and yeah. performing because I've just 
being able to really come back into me and like, you know, and actually relax and, and switch off properly. And just, I think when I do make my next, you know, performance, it'll be so exciting and special because I have just be able to give so much more rather than be from doing it from quite sometimes a tired place, you know. Absolutely. I think that's a really important point. So when you do um, kind of create these acts, um, like especially the ones kind of the solo acts, where do you typically find your inspiration? And do you have like a normal kind of method that you go through? No, not particularly. Um, Sometimes I will just have a particular song or a costume idea, I suppose. But with an album, it's quite different because, you know, it is really starting to move more away from traditional burlesque and more into like choreographed numbers Mm. big numbers you know with props and you know special lighting and all those kinds of extra things so um (laughs) that is meaning uh you know the people I'm working with is are really important and I I suppose I've always loved like big big stage production concepts Uh, so it's bringing some of that to life but then also you know, there's moments of things in opera that I've really enjoyed and I'm trying to kind of capture and there's some some really simple things like just a piano, you know, just in, in the whole mix as well. So I, it's a very interesting evolution stage that I'm in right now while we just sit down with, you know, not just my, my concept but actually get a team of people to put the vision to reality. Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm really pleased with what I've been able to do on my own and actually that's been quite incredible because I have been the choreographer, the director, you know, creating the costumes, <laughs> auditioning and, you know, inviting people to be part of it. But now I think here there is just so much more scope and the, the choreographer that I have met is, is amazing here in London. Having Emilio work with us who's not only a phenomenal pianist but has also done a lot in theatre uh, is also very helpful because he just brings a lot of fresh ideas and fresh suggestions to the finished product of how the stage show will be presented. And I am enjoying the process of involving more people, but I think it helps that what I have got so far that I have created myself is very finished. So now people can look at it and they can get where the rest of it can go because it's, you know, it's visual and it's filmed at a really high standard. So Mm -hmm. it's not like trying to describe something no one's ever seen before. You've actually (laughs) got finished product to go, you know, this is the initial sort of idea. And now we've got to add all of these other elements to it. So what, what, how do you see that um, unveiling? And they can, easily come up with more things because they've got something visual that they can work from um, as a as a template. You know, on the podcast, we always like to really kind of get into the reality, you know, the the not just the glittery, beautiful picture, but the reality of being a burlesque performer or producer or, you know, whatever in, in this world. Um, and we include the good, the bad and the ugly. So have you had any particular kind of worst moments as a burlesque performer or producer? Um, you know, anything that had to do either internally or externally that just kind of brought you down a bit? Definitely. And I mean, it's interesting because obviously in tandem with performance career for 10 years, I've had a corporate career on and off um, when I haven't had, when I haven't been a full-time teacher and performer, I've been working. And I have to say, I think performing and running a business takes so much more from you because you are trading with your the product of your soul and the product of your energy and it is a lot easier to work for somebody else and sort of sit you know hide behind you know that 
particular product or image or whatever they are selling because it's not you personally selling something that you have created Mm. um you know and it's just been very interesting to make that distinction because I always thought it would be utopia to be you know independent (laughs) and self-employed and you know really putting my name to everything but actually sometimes it can hurt because things don't always go right or people don't quite perceive you know your intention the right way or you know there's just certain days when you just have a really really difficult time a lot of burlesque is live we don't have the luxury of rehearsing for you know a whole week in the one space so it's perfect so sometimes just you know it's the luck of the draw things can go really wrong in the middle of a performance and it's dealing with that and not you know letting that make you feel incredibly down um in the rest of your life and to the other things going on in your life just because that particular moment wasn't brilliant. Uh, It was interesting being part of a theatre show and realising actually how different it is working in a space where you're there every day in the same outfit doing exactly the same lines (laughs) for, you know, 14 times, um, how much the whole group actually gels together and starts to move as one throughout the whole course of that production you know, it's it's a phenomenal thing and I realise burlesque doesn't give you that because you don't really, you know, Gypsy Rose, the musical, has been performed thousands of times so there's great footage to look at for a reference and then, you know, all the people that you work with give you lots of suggestions and you repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and then even the performing is repeating and repeating and repeating in the mm. same exact place. But that doesn't really ha- happen very often for burlesque performers, you know, every stage every performance even though the act might be the same you've just got so many different variables that you're juggling like you often be in a completely different venue so the stage is different and the height is different and the lighting is different and a completely different sound person you know you are sort of you know as much as you want to necessarily prepare and rehearse you are doing a lot more of it in an improvised way just because of that fact so um that was very good to have that experience in a theatre show and see how much more, you know, um, I think I think it's a good thing that we become so autonomous and so good at improvising because the environment is always changing, you know. I think that means we don't kind of get stayed and, you know, comfortable in our one little thing that we do really well. Like it has to be adapted and it has to kind of uh, flex and bend to fit certain environments. Um, but yeah. it is it was also very nice being part of something that was just the same every night. You know? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, take on it because, I mean, I come from a, a theater background as well. I did a lot of um, musical and non-musical theater. And you're right. It is a very different – it's a different vibe, and there are really pros and cons to both. There's good and bad things about each one. Mm-hmm. You know, there is something to be said for kind of the – I mean, not just the stability of doing the same thing night after night, but like you said, the gelling with the other performers and the really delving into that character and getting better every night, hopefully, (laughs) theoretically, you know, kind of getting more into that character, more into that that scene. But you you sacrifice kind of that more improvisation, that that reactivity, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you don't feel as close to the audience because you can't really see them when, you know, you're on a big stage yeah, and there's all those lights. True. And sometimes you're like, is there even anyone there? I can't actually <laughs> tell. And I don't want to look like I'm squinting trying to focus on somebody. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's a it's an interesting thing. What I really liked about the performance with a huge group was was the sense that we all started to become like the one thing you know towards the Mm -hmm. end every part of it from the lights the people doing lighting and the guys backstage 
helping with our mics like it just all sort of got this really great rhythm going and I thought it must be amazing to be part of a long standing theater show like I don't know Lion King or something like that where it's like six months to even several years sometimes that you might be getting to do that one role and really perfecting it not just you but like Mm -hmm. the entire group of you um because that is also something really magical about that but yeah look I just I love all of it but I think the hardest thing is um being up there singing something or you know performing something and it's just like your heart and soul has gone into it and it not perfectly being executed each time and then you know what you do to yourself because of that even if no one says anything to you but also sometimes someone might pop up on social media and not be like that you know complimentary and they just you know you're just sort of like oh oh, that is really quite like hard to manage Mm. those emotions and still stay strong and want to get out of bed and you know do it again and I just take my hat off to these big performers because um, you know, when you think of the huge careers people like Madonna has had, there must be days where they just have to put on like the show persona just to get through the day. They can't always be feeling like, you know, 100% uh, razzle dazzle every single show and they oh, I imagine you know? yeah it, it must be difficult you know I, I know that's something that I have had to work on as I you know uh, being an actress and a performer and everything is kind of getting that thicker skin and just being willing to mow through even when I really just don't feel like it yeah you know exactly and no matter what people say to me so how do you have like a, a particular way that helps you get through that when you are feeling kind of either down in the dumps or uh feeling kind of almost attacked or, or, or that you didn't do something as well as you should have? Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of personal development work, which is why I'm so passionate about my dance classes and teaching them from that place. So that has been really brilliant that I've been around some really amazing, you know, incredibly um, emotionally intelligent people who have been able to teach me how to be emotionally intelligent and aware of what I'm feeling and, and how to process those things. So I'd use a lot of the tools that I've learned on these courses and I've also done a major um, soul voice practitioner three-year training about sound healing and that is a phenomenal. Interesting. Um, yeah, that changed my voice completely and that happened throughout the process of recording my album. So there's some songs at the beginning when I started that I can't listen to because my voice got so much better. I just feel like it just sounds so strange hearing the more high-pitched sound I used to have. But that that's also really helped. So, I, you know, I will do lots of like meditation and um, use mm-hmm. some of those sound techniques to, you know, just express how I'm feeling and then I find I can clear it like rather than hanging on to it because I think in the past I've just always been very grown up about it and rather than just like having a tantrum and or bawling my eyes out you know I think sometimes you just need to just have a cry and then you just then you forget about it rather than try and stifle (laughs) it and um yeah Mm -hmm. so you know I think that it's really important there to express those really raw emotions as you know as much as possible whenever they come up because they are actually a good way of cleansing and clearing that stuff out Mm. of your psyche and yeah then you're fresh to look at things with and I have a really great amount of people around me I mean I think you know it's the law of attraction I just have magnetized or they've been magnetized they've magnetized me I'm not sure who's doing the magnetizing you know you I was questioning that about you Velvet like <laughs> who did the magnetizing but yeah I'm not really sure it was like a cold magnet situation so. so you know I just think that that is phenomenal too and I think 
having great people around you is like just key and that doesn't matter whether you're doing burlesque or being an astronaut or building a bridge I mean you know or working in in a library I mean good people around you in your field that can support you and just understand you that's just valuable no matter what goal you have and um that is something I think I've been incredibly blessed to have. And that's one of the actually, you know, in a, in a way, that's one of the reasons I kind of started this podcast, because I know that there are some performers out there, even though a lot of them work with troops or schools or things like that. But it's easy to feel kind of alone because it is such an independent um, art form and you do so much by yourself mm-hmm. uh, as far as creation typically. Um and, and it's really important to kind of have these, even if they're virtual, even if we're halfway across the world from each other, you know, kind of have these support structures and, and get to know other people. And like I said, the reality of of other performers and what everybody goes through. Mm, definitely. Yeah, no, it's very true. So we talked about some of the kind of low moments. Um, what about have you had a particular best moment just where you just felt on top of the world? Everything was just the stars aligned and you just felt so good about your decision and your work in burlesque? There's been lots of those. I mean, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I've managed to like it, it attract some phenomenal support. So Di Roll, my publicist in Australia, we had this dream because I thought it would be so rewarding having left London where I discovered burlesque. And, you know, for me that was really pivotal because being in a big city where I could be anonymous, I think, you know, Melbourne's a little bit small as well, like after a while and having grown up there, certain people in certain kind of sub scenes all sort of congregate together and I just you just seem to bump into them everywhere so moving (laughs) to London was just this huge lease on life because no one knew who I was I barely could find my way around in the early days but it was (laughs) phenomenal to have that sense of you know, anonymity and mystery. Um, Absolutely. And then I discovered this dark, you know, exotic world of burlesque where I changed my name and put on false eyelashes and danced around with my boobies hanging out. And, yes. you know, I just I just <laughs> loved that. And um, it was in that process that I, you know, I've, having gone back to then Melbourne and starting a school, I had attracted and amazed um, some amazing, like, natural star performers in and we'd created a little you know kind of um semi-professional group with these girls uh each of them did a solo performance and then we had some group numbers and I said look it would be great to take you to London and actually show you you know where burlesque began so there was the burlesque festival was happening in London and various things so we just decided to go for it and there was a point where we had to just decide right we're going and to raise money for flights, I just I recorded this silly song for Richard Branson, who is the owner of Virgin Atlantic. Um, My heart belongs to Branson. And in that process, met the phenomenal die roll. I had put a shout out on LinkedIn: burlesque, London to Melbourne. Can anyone help us connect with Richard Branson? And then this publicist pops up: die roll, your publicist. I've still got that email in my um folder because. I nearly fell off my chair. I mean, when you go on her website, it says, you know, former publicist to Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, Jerry Seinfeld. If anyone has X Factor in their name, you can guarantee they've (laughs) enlisted the support of Die Roll. So for me, that was another one of those starry-eyed, you know, moments. I was just so nervous about meeting this publicist who had worked with everybody and anybody. And, um, yeah, she was phenomenal and, and has been a really ongoing major support in my life and, you know, knows her way around the industry exceptionally well. And because of her contacts, we, we were able to to really get through to Richard and um, he responded like two days later via his PA to discount our flights with Virgin Atlantic. And I thought that was, you know, 
amazing <laughs> because that's so great. yeah I just did not he must get hounded and I just honestly oh, did sure. not think I don't know I had an inkling though I just felt like it was gonna work and you know it wasn't until it actually happened that I just went oh my god if I can get through to Richard Branson <laughs> I must be doing something right so you know those things were those things have been incredibly affirming and I think just every time I teach a new class and I just see a group of women you know totally laughing and just realizing that there's nothing they're going to get right or wrong in this class they can just wiggle around and have a great time and laugh <laughs> because I am actually quite funny um, <laughs> I believe it <laughs> that you know there is just this amazing lift in the energy and I just I just every time that happens I just know I'm exactly doing what my calling is you know I just feel like I'm meant to be there and that is so rewarding and enriching and um, I think I'm lucky because I'm not sure many people you know get to have that as frequently as I have had it in my life so uh, yeah it's it's a great great thing and um, I, I hope I you know long may it continue basically. I think, I mean, we are lucky because I think in the burlesque community, at least the people I've talked to on the podcast so far and outside of the podcast, it seems like in general, the responses to this type of a question, the worst moments are, they're bad, but they're not awful. And then the best moments, I can hear people's smiles in their voices. You know, I can hear how much those best moments kind of outweigh the worst moments, if that makes sense. Definitely. And I think that that is just the path. And, um, you know, it is uh being an artist of any description is going to have both sides of that coin you know oh absolutely and i think yeah. it's just unfortunate if you you know you we're all but born as artists i certainly can't switch it on and off like i nope. sometimes <laughs> wish i could because it would just be easier to be happy you know working in a library or i don't know as an accountant but like these things just are, are not possible because this is who i am and you know along with the incredible highs like are the lows and it's just I the best thing I could do is find out a way to get through the lows because this one thing I definitely can't get through get away from and that is the fact that this is going to keep calling me and I'm going to keep doing it and <laughs> no matter what so, absolutely you know if that's the opportunity that's the catch 22 then I the only thing I have the only choice I have is to find a way to get through those bad moments um as best I can and they're not yeah. that often and actually with the training I've done you know when I really look at those things that and those emotions you know often I've over exaggerated it in my imagination and my thoughts more than it actually is reality anyway. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned along with that and what you mentioned earlier about really feeling the emotions. I've been doing a lot, you know, some self-development work as well. And, and, and just that, that experience of when you're in one of those lows, really trying to just like lean into the emotion. We've been trained so much to lean away from it and to ignore it and to make ourselves feel better with Netflix or other things, which I am certainly guilty of. I certainly do. But if we're able to kind of, like I said, lean more into it and really feel that emotion, at least in my experience, I usually find that it's not really as bad as I thought it was. No, it's definitely not. And, you know, I think also we have a, a very understandable uh, predisposition to believing what our mind is telling us. Yes. But actually, really, we have these phenomenal creative minds that do invent things and embellish things. And if you actually look at the truth of each situation, you've generally added on, you know, a lot of extra stuff um, that wasn't true and you don't have mm -hmm. to believe it. And once you sort of look at that and go, do you know what, okay, that thing happened and that thing happened, but then the rest of it is, you know, actually just me adding on additional stuff that's not 
anything I need to pay attention to. It really does help you to just get clear a lot quicker and move on. And I think that that's probably one of the best things I've learned to do is just process those things. You know, I'm with you 100% this kind of more awareness. I've mentioned it several times, like basically every podcast I've recorded lately, because it's been so in uh, such a big part of my life. I've been taking an online course and reading the books of Brene Brown. Oh, no, but I think I've heard that name mentioned. What does she do? You have to look into it. She did a TED talk in 2010 on vulnerability and shame. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I think the first one was shame. Yeah. No, the first one was vulnerability and it blew up. It's like one of the top 10 TED talks of all time. And so now she's done more and written books and all of these things. And in one of her one of her books is about the story we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it just very much goes in line with what you were just saying. Basically the exact same thing. Like this, you know, we tell ourselves this story that is infinitely worse usually than the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, and then and then we create the shame monster and then there's, you know, and she is just an amazing researcher mm-hmm. and she's very like the way that she approaches things is very um, down to earth. Very. I just really connect with her in that way. So mm-hmm. you should check her out. She does some great work. Mm-hmm. Cool. No, I remember the vulnerability TED talk now that you're mentioning it, but I just didn't really know her like as a first-hand name. Cool. I will definitely look that into that because I really, you know, I'm really a big advocate of all those methodologies and, 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 wisdoms that people have to pass on because I just think it does make life so much more enjoyable when you don't sit there in all that extra stuff. So it really does. You know. Absolutely. And, and and being aware of it is the first step. You know, I went through, you know, a lot of years of my life just having no idea or being really cynical and just not thinking about this stuff. And now that, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm turning it on myself. I got this mirror and I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. Mm, <laughs> yeah. That's great. So we talked about kind of the bad moments, but and the good moments. But what are some of your challenges? Or what is one of your biggest challenge as a performer or a producer on stage, off stage, whatever it is? Um, usually that I'm just doing too much. So you know, I put on a lot of events, <laughs> and then I'm singing and performing at them. And um, that's quite exhausting. And uh, I think probably the biggest challenge is just surrendering to what will be will be you know once you've got to that point of no return you're standing there in front of a hundred people and or a thousand people and you know there is a point of no return I mean you can't run away (laughs) that's true and anything is likely to happen because it's live Uh, (laughs) I think it's just surrendering to that and just you know really embracing the unknown and I you know, I think people should actually rehearse the worst possible thing that could go wrong in their routine before <laughs> that, like rather idea. than their most perfect routine, just so that they know how they react when the worst possible thing happens. Because generally, maybe not the worst thing will happen, but you know, at least one thing that's not exactly the way you wanted it is going to happen. And it's just keeping that composure and not losing the moment because often people who are watching have no idea it's completely up to you to just Mm. um you know rise above that particular step not working or that particular glove catching on your bracelet you know and um distracting everybody you know uh into the next thing so I think yeah that is really my biggest challenge just always knowing pretty much something I wasn't expecting is going to (laughs) happen Yeah, accepting the chaos. It's hard to do. Yeah, and then, (laughs) and then you know, moving through it. And I'm always intrigued because I always just want to watch it back, or you know, like straight away. I'm always intrigued to see what that thing will be. 
and then like <laughs> look at it and like look at it on my face like to see if I you know gave it away or if I managed to sort of glide through it quite um elegantly uh if I can generally you know do things elegantly even if they're colossal mistakes I'm fairly happy with myself so <laughs> <laughs> I see I'm working on some acts where they're not elegant at all <laughs> right. so that when I miss the elegance it just fits in that's fine yeah, no just- I know <laughs> That's a great idea. Someone said that circus performers deliberately rehearse like mis- like you know accidents and slips, um, yeah. as part of the comedy of their act, so that if they actually do a real one, no one notices because it looks like that that was always part of their performance. Exactly. I'm like, that's, that's a- the best moment whenever somebody's like, "Does that really is was that supposed to happen?" Or <laughs> yeah. that's good. Keep them guessing. So. Exactly. Yeah, but um. I've had plenty of opportunities to uh, practice what to do when things don't go the right way because it seems to be quite frequent. If we can, like, go into that point of surrender on stage and just, you know, smile and to the point no one actually realises there's been any flaw, then we can apply that to some of these things that happen in our lives that don't happen when they're not meant to, like, my, you know, your phone getting stolen or, um, I don't know, just little annoying things that tend to happen in your day and you're like, okay, that wasn't meant to happen but, you know, it's happened. So do I let it, like, ruin my entire day or do I actually just think, you know, what's the worst thing and how can I actually overcome that from a higher perspective because yeah I think it is the stage is a metaphor for life nothing that you rehearse will ever turn out exactly the way you want it and there'll be a lot of unexpected things that'll happen in your life that won't exactly be where you plan for them to be so as long as if you're prepared with that mentality of just you know being graceful and gracious in the face of those things um, it is a much better perspective from which to operate and generally will mean you know you're a happier person really so how about when you're performing when you're backstage at a show what is one thing that you always have in your burlesque backstage kit Oh, a butterfly, because I believe burlesque represents um, transformation, and I tend to give butterflies to everybody. Uh, so, like yeah. a real butterfly? Not a real butterfly, but just oh. a symbol of one. Gotcha. <laughs> like, that would be funny. I'm like picturing a little cage that you've got, <laughs> no, you know, no, and you set him free afterwards. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right, no, so like a sticker. Like or a sticker a- or, um, well, I actually just got my new business cards with a butterfly, so now they're on everything. But, yeah, I always have like a little like hairpin butterfly or, you know, something to give somebody um that's a that's a key thing that I really have because they just they do symbolize what I think is the transformation that happens you know from backstage to performing and then coming off the stage it's quite a significant kind of rite of passage you know yeah, that's a beautiful metaphor I love that especially to keep that in mind when you have that backstage that's that's beautiful do you know and an interesting fact about butterflies they completely change form even their DNA when they go from a cocoon to a butterfly even really? the DNA changes they are a completely different being I had no idea if I uh, read it read a book about uh the different properties of the transformation from cocoon from larvae like through to the butterfly and their DNA changes how can their DNA then they're not the same thing my mind is blown right now and how are you the same? This is like some Buddhist stuff. Like there who is are Buddhist you? You are stuff in there, and I would say Buddhist, <laughs> and I just said Buddhist, but I feel you are. <laughs> Whatever. You are, uh, yeah, slowly seeping into my subconscious. That's what's <laughs> happening. But there is some Buddhist stuff because I think that's really symbolic of you know, like the whole yeah. what we we think is like you know, death um, could actually be like really, hey, we're actually just completely metamorphosing into something 
completely different and we're not even aware of it because a butterfly would probably not particularly be that happy if he knew he was going to go from a caterpillar into a whole other being. Wow, I feel like my mind is blown right now. I don't even know if I can go on with this. <laughs> you want to Google, you want to, you're itching to Google it, aren't you? I really am. I'm like, oh, is she lying to me? Is she telling me the truth? I am telling the truth because I was so blown away by it. And then it made me think about all of the symbolism of death and transformation and afterlife and all these other things that, you know, we could have a whole other podcast about that. Like about identity, like what makes you you then? What makes this butterfly the same entity if everything has changed except for position in space? Oh, my gosh. And then I guess the matter. But then if the I'm sorry, my brain is like going in a million. It's good, places. isn't it? Because I'd been using them for so long to give to people, symbolizing, you know, um, and you know, in different cultures, they spiralize, they do symbolize like the spirit, like, like they are, you know, in some cultures perceived to be like the afterlife of a like living being, or they do represent the spirit and the freedom of, you know, being kind of uh, after your your physical form. So uh, I think it's very interesting. There's sort of some real s- synchronicity between the stages of a butterfly's transformation and, you know, like symbolism around possibly our own like progression from physical beings and into different beings, you know, um, if you believe that. So, yeah, it made made me really think. So if you Google it, you'll see it's true because um, it's just a very interesting fact. And I thought that made the fact that I'm so attracted to butterflies even more significant when I realised that they they don't just – you know, pop out like they actually their DNA changes in the process of that transformation. Yep. Wow. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. very cool. I feel like that has a lot of good implications. Have you seen the movie Interstellar? I haven't yet. Oh, no. see that movie as well because that okay. is just really mind blowing. Okay. Like, I need my, I might have to wait till tomorrow because I don't know if I can handle my mind being blown yeah, twice okay. in one day. Great. Maybe much. wait till next week because Interstellar <laughs> blew me away so much. Like, I actually, I actually felt like it changed my life. But I saw it in an IMAX film, IMAX cinema. So the vibration of the bass, like, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a sci fi movie, the vibration of the bass and the kind of, all of this very phenomenal theatrics like really got into my body like because like I could just hear the sounds of everything so accurately it was it was I think yeah if you see it on a laptop you will still get some significant things from it but because I saw it in an IMAX cinema with such a high quality sound it actually shifted something in me like I thought about it for a whole week afterwards and even now like the principles it it was sort of sharing and alluding to are phenomenal you need to see it definitely and you should email when you have (laughs) okay yeah I'll, I'll restart the conversation. We might have to have a whole podcast episode about talking about interstellar. Exactly. <laughs> well, the next little section we like to do on the podcast is called Pick Your Poison. Mm-hmm. And this is basically, I have just nine questions. We've gotten pretty deep, especially talking about, you know, life and Buddhism and DNA and all of that. But we're going to go a bit lighter now um, with, you know, just one question out of these nine. I've mixed up the questions so they're not the same numbers every week. And I'll have you pick a number one through nine so we can get to, get to know you a little bit better. Okay, eight. Number eight. If you could spend 48 hours in the body of someone else, who would you choose and what would you do? Um, can I be a butterfly? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny because when I asked my very first guest on this podcast was Kirby Marzell and she picked an animal as well. <laughs> sure, I would we love can... to be a butterfly for 48 hours. I don't know. Some of them don't live much longer than that, I don't think. I think two Yeah, you'd have to be a little careful about this. You have to make sure that you uh, negotiate to keep your consciousness and everything there too. Okay. And just, yeah. yeah, no, I would love to be a butterfly. I just think they look they look like they have 
like uh, an amazing time. They look incredible and they just flit around, you know, so freely. I I would love to be a butterfly for a day, 48 hours. All right. Well, uh, this is a quick fire round called This or That. Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you basically two choices and you just pick one or the other, okay. whichever one appeals to you the most. As a disclaimer, I always tell everyone you can interpret these in any way that you like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Starbucks. City or country? Country. Love or money? Love. Dita Von Tees or Dirty Martini? Dita Von Tees. A Dirty Martini or a pint of beer? Dirty Martini. Day or night? Day. Harry Potter or Star Wars? Harry Potter. Top or bottom? Top. Mountains or ocean? Mountains. Classic or neo-burlesque? Classic. Peanut butter or jelly? Uh, Peanut butter. Comedy or tragedy? Comedy. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Sleep or sex? Sex. (laughs) (laughs) Heels or bare feet? Heels. And lastly, Paris or London? Mm, London. You gotta go with it. I understand you live there. I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get to travel on to Paris much? I am going next week. That's the last week of the um, Dita Von T's crazy show. Yes. So I'm going to that. Yeah, you know, I've been traveling a little bit. I mean, I'd like to travel more, but it's great being like, you know, half an hour away from things on a train or a plane and I can be somewhere new, which is great because Australia is like, you know, such a huge (laughs) distance from anything. All right. So before we wrap up today, I just I would love to know, I ask all my guests this, um, how do you typically stay current on burlesque news? You know, the our burlesque world is pretty wide. What do you do to kind of stay up to date? Um. I tend to like host world record attempts so that I am the news and that way I know what's there you going go. on. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> no, actually when I'm not hosting world record attempts, so I am the news. I, I tend to read like, you know, I've got I've got uh, several things I'm subscribed to, Burlesque Bible and um What's the other one? 21st Century Burlesque. I sometimes pop onto Ministry of Burlesque, which is a big website that we have here. And I don't know whether the American community accesses it much, but it was a very I've seen it. Yeah, but- it was a very big forum when I first started out. Like Facebook and Big Burlesque. Um, big brother, sister, that kind, those kind of groups have sort of replaced what. Minister- yeah, I noticed that nobody's been on the forum for quite a quite a while. Yeah, it seems. Mm, it's still fairly popular, but it's not what it was back in those days. Like Ministry of Burlesque was where everyone went to share ideas and get suggestions and help. And I think now Facebook has kind of just been the movement because it's so much like you know the new trend. Um, right, you're already on there anyway. Most yeah, of us, so. those kinds of things. But you know, even like I'm so I've been doing it for so long now. Even my mum will like ring and go, you know, hey, there's like a burlesque performer in chapel street or like something burlesque related or we noticed this burlesque thing like on a front cover so they kind of keep me in the loop and then that makes me think oh i better get go on and see what's going on with that because i don't tend to read the news very much i just find it depressing so yeah it's what i see on facebook and what um what kind of comes my way just by the by, you know, um, yeah, yeah. authentically. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Um, and what about uh, as far as in the video, the video realm, because there's lots of things out there on YouTube and Vimeo and everything. Do you have any, um, I'd love to hear about two YouTube videos that you know of or, or Vimeo um, or any videos anywhere. Um, one maybe of yourself, if you have one that you particularly love or of the world record attempt or anything like that. And then one that you just can't get enough of by another artist. Yeah, I definitely think you should check out 
Tease, which is the debut single from my album, because that was quite a, an amazing team that we worked with. Um, Mark Bacatus was the director who has been in the Melbourne music scene for years and has, you know, filmed people like The Prodigy live and um, wow. all sorts of amazing famous artists, and he was pivotal in that. And then um, we also worked with Jeff Osman and Remo Camarota and and Roger Bolton and those guys had done editing for the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Harry Potter five. So they did a really wow. great job on the video. Um, and in terms of a video of someone else's that I really love and can't get enough of, um, I, I have to say Goldfrapp who had a modesty blaze in one of the first ever burlesque, you know, electronica pop kind of music videos, um, is a, a great one to watch and it's called train um i can't remember the full name of the song but yeah that's just been a real you know pivotal illustration of where of the beginnings of my ideas for my album and, and where that has kind of gone so it was good to see that so long ago and get ideas from it and the fact that she had this you know brought a modesty blaze into sort of a more pop electronically produced album rather than the vintage big band sort of music that we have like it was a really really quite yeah. like you know progressive so well, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out both of those so um for those of you listening once again i will have those in the show notes page i'll go ahead and put those videos right in there so you'll be able to go to the show notes page at burlesquestripdown.com slash Sapphira, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-A. And so we'll we'll have those right over there on that website, or you can, of course you can go to our homepage and navigate from there. And you can check those videos out along with all of the other things that we've been talking about, links to um, her inspirations, links to the project she has going on, and of course, updated when with uh, news about her album as that comes out later in the year. So... Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. One last thing before um, we say goodbye. How can we, you know, I'm sure people are interested in finding out more about you. How can we kind of keep up with you and get in contact if we'd like to know more? Um, well, I've got two main pages. So the end, you can Google or Facebook or Twitter, Sapphira's Showgirls and Sapphira Music. Um, I'm, I'm on the internet with all of those um, sort of handles. So if you look for them, Perfect. they're there you won't be able to miss me. Great. And I'll link those up in the show notes page, as I mentioned as well. Perfect. Well, Sapphira, it has been a pleasure. And I have learned lots about you and about butterflies and about <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's just been wonderful chatting with you. Great. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Um, well, I, yeah, I am I'm excited to be uh, in the discussions with this phenomenal artist, Charles Billish, who is has his work in the White House and the Vatican and is one of Australia's most famous painters. Um, he, he and I met in 2013 and we're now talking about ways he can be involved with my album. And um, furthermore, we, we may even do uh, some poetry, published poetry with some of his work, which is really a massive honour because he has been the artist in resident in palaces. He has been um, invited, you know, all around the world to, you know, um, have his work displayed with the, uh, people like the Prince of Monaco and he is incredibly uh, esteemed uh, person and a lovely, lovely man as well. And it's just yeah, really significant that he's coming to Europe this year. And uh, we're in discussions of sharing poetry and his incredible paintings as I speak. So I'll send you a link for Charles Billish as well, because um, yeah, he's, he's not necessarily a name known in the burlesque scene, but he's certainly known all around the world. And um, he's got like a big following uh, in, in Hollywood and Croatia and uh, Melbourne, Australia and Sydney 
me. Yeah, he's he's. I think he was the London Olympics commissioned artist, and um, oh wow, yeah, he's he's just done some really significant things in his career. But he's also an incredibly lovely, generous person, and um, it's very exciting to have him wanting to be involved with what I'm doing. So fabulous! That's great. Yeah, good for you. And and it's always great to bring in kind of other artists from other industries or yeah. other that are popular in other ways, and kind of see how we can kind of you know work together on things this is the thing and i mean it's just a really interesting collaboration because yeah collaboration that's the word yep <laughs> i just think i don't really know a lot about that process but i when i was recently when i first met him he was doing some sketches with pastel and just watching him like sketching me was the, one of the most significant moments ever he just like his hand just moved across this page and then there was just this image that was just breathtaking wow. in about five seconds I was like how did you do that with this tiny piece of charcoal like you know I would be managing a stick figure at that point you know? yeah like, it, <laughs> me too I have about that much uh, artistic talent know, as well as, just, in that sense. it was just a really really amazing amazing talent that he's he's got so um yeah that's that's very exciting and it's just so different because it's like I don't think anyone's really done anything with like a fine art in a gallery with music and poetry and burlesque you know um before mm. so i'm interested to see what things we might be able to come up with together so yeah stay tuned we will you will keep me up to date on that and i will in turn then keep everybody up to date thanks. well thank you so much again for being with us my pleasure thanks for having me obsession has decayed my mind i seek reprieve there's none to find begging for solace every And there you have it, ladies and gents, Sapphira of Sapphira Showgirls and Sapphira Music. All of the links, as I've mentioned several times, you can find over on the show notes page so you can kind of get in touch with her, check out her inspiration and all of that, those videos and everything. So especially if you liked her music, definitely keep an eye on that website or on her sites to hear when that new album launches, when that drops. Is that what the cool kids are saying these days, when the album drops? Yeah, I'm awesome. So <laughs> keep an eye over on those websites, uh, my website and hers as well. Now, as far as butterflies, right? Well, she and I, uh, Sapphira and I emailed a little bit afterwards and we were chatting about it and I found a little bit more, um, some articles. Turns out, so the way the science of it works, here's a quick, a quick rundown. It's not actually two different strands of DNA, but it is two completely different sections of the DNA. One is turned off and one is turned on when they're in their different phases of their life. So when they're a caterpillar, it's one section of the DNA. And then as they're in their cocoon and they change over, that section is completely turned off and the new section is turned on. So it's really, really fascinating to look into. And I really think it still resonates with what we were talking about as far as kind of that rebirth and that complete changing of who we are at points in our lives. So there is a really great article from NPR, which I'm going to link in the show notes as well, titled, Are Butterflies Two Different Animals in One? The Death and Resurrection Theory. So this goes into a little bit more of that. Um, it's from 2012, but it's a it's a really nice, nice overview, including some cute little drawing pictures. So that's always nice. So check that out over on burlesquestripteddown.com slash Sapphira, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-A. So there we go, burlesque and science all in one. 
Now, before I sign off today, I do want to continue with my shout outs. Last, uh, last week we heard from a little message from Miss Delicious, uh, up in the distressed dolls. And so I thank you for doing that. Today I have an email that comes from, to me from Burgundy Kate, um, out in LA. So I just want to give a little shout out to Burgundy Kate. She says, first off, let me say that you've given me a lot of inspiration over the past few months. I've gone through your canon of podcasts and I love the practical, deglamorized way that you talk about burlesque. It takes it off its pedestal and makes it something attainable. It's refreshing and wonderful and something that everyone, both new and legendary burlesquers, should be listening to. So thank you. You're making me blush. Burgundy Kate, it's amazing. She goes on to tell us about um, a show that she has coming up in LA. So if you are in LA, it is on May the 4th, which is Star Wars Day. Love it. But this one is um, basically Shakespeare with a kink. So it's called Toil and Trouble. If you're interested in that, I should have a... I got a little behind on my event roundups, but I should have an event roundup maybe coming out this weekend. Um, so if you'd like to find out more information about this show, you can go to that event roundup for April, which we'll give a little sneak peek at May, or you can go directly to toilandtroubleburlesque.com. So thank you, Burgundy Kate. Little shout out for you and your show. Break all the legs with that. And if you want to, you know, let me know what you think of the podcast, if you like it, if it's helping you, I do really try to kind of de-glamorize burlesque. I love the glamour of it, but I also kind of want to bring it down and make it more accessible for everybody. So that is my goal. If you think I'm doing well, if you think there's some things that could be improved, please don't hesitate to let me know. Send me an email, velvet at burlesquestripdown.com. Or you can head over to the website and on the very right side of the um, any show notes page, you'll see leave me a message. And all you need is your computer, um, which should have a microphone built into it. And you can leave a quick up to 90 second message. And if you're lucky, I might even play it on the air. Hmm. All right. So definitely tune in this Thursday for another hot tips episode. I haven't recorded it yet, so I'm not entirely sure what I'll be talking about. If you have any ideas for topics for those, definitely email me as well. And next Monday, Miss Ava Valentina from Burlesque Moulin Paris will be on the microphone. So I am excited to bring that to you. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, stay reinventing yourself. I feel like that kind of was what we talked about a bit with Sapphira, that kind of reinvention. Stay inspired. And as always, stay sexy. Stay sexy.